listening to Package Your Genius, a conversation designed to give you clarity on your calling and serve as a catalyst for your career. I'm your host, Amanda Miller Littlejohn. Welcome back to Package Your Genius. I'm so excited to join you today for this very important conversation. As you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I've been meaning to do an episode on mental health for some time now. I mainly wanted to talk about what I've experienced personally and what I have witnessed mental health-wise with other high achievers. So as you know, my personal branding and coaching practice is geared towards high achievers, and with that comes a unique brand of personality. Typically, I find myself working with hard-driving, ambitious, super smart people who've been working hard to achieve, oftentimes since childhood. While many of us are simply wired this way, I've been pondering lately how achievement can sometimes be more harmful than helpful, and how easily we can straddle the line between performing at the highest levels and burning ourselves out. I have personally struggled for years, decades even, with anxiety, depression, and perfectionism. On the one hand, I believe that my ability to feel things so deeply makes me a more sensitive thinker, writer, and coach. I'm able to relate with a range of emotional and life experiences by the very virtue of my own life experiences. But when Things are bad. They are very bad. And for many years, I paid a high price for being so sensitive. And I also struggled with the shame of trying to hide my depression from new friends and colleagues. It really cost me many relationships and new experiences that I think I would have had if I had been more open and less guarded about my own struggles with mental health. Fortunately, in recent years, and with the help of gifted therapists and friends, I've learned how to take better care of myself and my gift so I don't struggle so wildly. I've zeroed in on my triggers as well as some of my non-negotiables so I can live in a space of joy. Now, I'm not saying it's always easy or I have everything all figured out, but I'm in a much better place than I was 10 years ago for sure. I've recently shared here on the podcast how my physical health has come into focus as I am better understanding how important it is for me to safeguard my vessel, my physical vessel, if I want to effectively access my gift. Taking care of my mental health is also a big part of that. So for today's episode, I wanted to have a conversation with a young woman who frankly reminds me a lot of myself 10 years ago. She's ambitious, she's coming into her own, she's super smart, and she's making a name for herself in the media and communications world. But she's also, you know, dealing with anxiety and sometimes depression. I wanted to bring her on the podcast to shed light on the inner workings of high achievement and to share the lessons that she has to teach us. Because as you will hear very soon, she is very, very wise, well beyond her years. Our guest today is Dominique Fluker. 
Here's a little bit about her from her bio. Dedication, passion, curiosity. Dominique B. Fluker is a content strategist, writer, and senior account executive at Max Borges Agency, specializing in influencer relations and launching effective and impactful social programming for Cricket Wireless and AT&T. Her deep ability to understand analytics and metrics has allowed her to be successful in leveraging audience insights to drive impactful content to specific audiences across digital platforms. Through her work in public relations, social media strategy, and content development, Dominique has successfully amplified the online presence of the following brands. Tidal, Air New Zealand, Microsoft Pulse, Israel Ministry of Tourism, Senseo, WeWork, and more. In addition to her work as a content and social strategist, Dominique has a budding writing career. In 2018, she embarked on her writing journey with Forbes Women in Essence magazine. Within an 11-month time span, Dominique strategized to bring 30 stories to life that are centered in millennial-based entrepreneurship, specifically highlighting women of color. In August of 2018, she was elevated to senior contributor at Forbes and invited to speak on the Standing Out from the Pack panel at Forbes headquarters, which highlighted her articles and decision to profile millennial women of color entrepreneurs in business and the arts. Dominique is passionate about telling stories of other dynamic millennial women and helping brands explore the interconnectivity of culture and communication through social media to garner awareness and to create an impact. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Package Your Genius. I'm so excited to bring a conversation to you today with a very special guest who I connected with online of all places, but have quickly grown a deep affection for her. She's a powerful woman on the rise. Dominique Fluker is a senior account executive at the Max Borges Agency and also a senior contributor to Forbes and a writer for Essence Magazine. So me being in communications and media, totally can see talent when it is up and coming. And I recall uh, seeing her, seeing you, Uh, seeing your byline continue to pop up in my feed and, you know, profiling these really dynamic women. And I thought, oh my God, who is this Dominique? And how do I not know her by now? So hence us being here. Welcome Dominique to Package Your Genius. Thank you for having me, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here and you are definitely a mover and shaker yourself. And I'm just proud to be part of your brand as well. Yay. So I kind of consider myself somewhat of a young veteran in the space. Like I feel like I'm aging out of, you know, the young millennial world. And it's so interesting just to see a new generation of um, just media mavens and contributors and communications professionals coming up. And so I always want to stay close to the people who are really in those trenches and building in their careers, because there's so much that we can learn from you. I remember myself when I was kind of in a similar spot and just 
how many conferences I went to, how hungry and thirsty I was for knowledge and access and exposure and people. And it's just a very exciting time in your career. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, Dominique? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Kind of give us the highlights of your bio up to this point. Yeah, so I was born and raised in East Oakland, California. Um, by the time I was ready to go to college, I went to New York to attend Sarah Lawrence College, which is a liberal, private liberal arts school in Bronxville, New York, 30 minutes out of Manhattan. And there I studied psychology, writing, and communications, and even Italian. Um, wow. And, yeah, and then... I, after doing a study abroad program in Florence, Italy for three months uh, for art history and writing, I decided to go to Spelman College to finish out that study abroad year for the, the next uh, semester. And that just opened up my world. Um, it just expanded my view on my, my personal culture, and it was a great opportunity for me. Wow. Okay. So college was a really dynamic time. It sounds like you took full advantage of your college experience to broaden your horizons and just explore who you are, which is probably one of the reasons why you're so interesting now, right? Like you have done things and, and explored and seen some parts of the world and really cultivate it yourself, which is something I think many of us forget to do. Um, but you had a a powerful tragedy that that happened um, during those college years, you know, those early young adult years, that I think shifted um, your perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that tragedy rocked my world and really shifted how I um, my daily routines now, how I think about life, and um, how I go about accomplishing my dreams and just going for it. So tragedy I'm speaking about is uh, the murder of my father in 2013 when I was actually at Spelman College. Um, unfortunately, my dad was driving home from the Oakland Hills and um, he lived in a kind of neighborhood that was being worked on, being gentrified, um, but just quite not there yet. And he actually did a lot of community activism um, in his neighborhood to ward off drug wars, um, actually talking to local drug dealers who were, you know, um, pushing the the product <laughs> in, the, in the neighborhood. And so he was driving home one night and there was a drug, drug turf beef at the gas station. Um, it was a shootout and driving past the gas station and he caught a stray bullet. Um, wow. And he died immediately in his car. I was at Spelman College with no uh, family in terms of my mom, my grandpa, my aunts. They're all in Oakland. Um, and so my grandfather got the news first, um, imagining an 80-year-old man <laughs> mm. um, getting a call from the police. But my, my dad had his number in his wallet for in case of emergencies. Um, so they called him, and then he immediately called my mom. And I believe that was the hardest phone caller thing in life that she had to make. Um, but it was starting to get on social media. And it was by the grace of God that I didn't, I had such a good day in Atlanta. 
I was tour. I was a tourist. I was sightseeing. I was going to um, Piedmont Park. I was going everywhere. I didn't even have access to my phone or Facebook, and I'm always on social. Um, so by the grace of God, I wasn't able to find the news that way. And then when I was able to get into my dorm, my mom got hold of me, mm. and she told me the news, and it was completely devastating. I just remember falling to the floor, screaming. Um, I called one of my best friends, who's still really great friends today, Sapphire Thomas, um, who was also an exchange student. And she came down and she called my dean, Dean Neely, um, and they made arrangements for my my cousin, who, who did live in Atlanta, to come in and pick me up. And then from there, it was a roller coaster of events. Um, I actually flew back to California to plan the wedding. I mean, the wedding, the funeral. Um, and uh, then I went back to school. So how did that event, because like, at what point in the semester was this? What semester, what, was it um, near the end? It or? was near the end and I didn't feel like finishing. Um, it was near the end, it was about to be summer. So it was spring semester. So how did that impact the rest of your, I guess, college journey? I mean, that's something, first of all, a parent dying is something that takes, you know, serious time to recover from if you ever recover at all. But for him to die in such a tragic and unexpected and sudden way, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's traumatic. So what did that, how did that impact you um, and you as a woman, as a student, I'm your daddy's girl. I'm still very much a daddy's girl, even though he's no longer with me um, physically. But uh, it changed my whole trajectory. I Well, first, I was thinking, oh, I can't go back to school. Everyone's going to think of me as the girl that, aside from me being super sad and just devastated, everyone's going to think of me as the girl whose dad got murdered. Um, because that's all that they were talking about in Oakland. My dad was somewhat of a prominent figure in Oakland. He was a journalist himself, a photojournalist um, for the Oakland Tribune and an engineer and just uh, a very involved community uh, citizen. So a lot of people knew it was coming to the point where I would be on a plane and people were like, aren't you Lionel Fluger's daughter? Like, I'm so sad for what has happened. Um, and it was national media at that point. So I was very concerned on how my family was going to be looked at and kind of that that black stain um, on our family history because we don't have um, we don't have any street ties. We're not that type of family. Um, and it was just very shocking for us. And also I knew that we still had to go to a trial. Um, and that's that's down that was a lot that was my senior year um, where I actually went to a trial um, and that was very traumatic as well. Um, but anyway, so going, so I'll start when I flew back to Spelman College. So as I mentioned before, I was in Italy for um, the, the first half of my junior year. And I'm so very glad that I went to Spelman College because as soon as I went back on campus, I had sisters there. My dean was very supportive. They all, when I went back to the cafe, they all rushed and gave me a hug, Um, but they also knew to give me space during that time. Um, And then I started going to a therapist 
on Spelman's campus. Um, I think actually I started a little bit beforehand, but they wanted me to feel comfortable being back on campus. So it was kind of a mandatory thing that I had to do. Um, and I was happy to do that. Uh, so I had a black woman therapist for the first time um, and that that definitely helped me. But as far as my world being altered, I, I talked to my dad every day um, before class and um, on the way to another class, after class, on the way to dinner, every day. He was basically um, a person who shaped my identity and shaped who I, I was today. Um, and also, was he was very intentional about pouring into me a lot. We did everything together. We, um, I found my love for storytelling because we used to go to Barnes and Nobles and um, get Greek mythology books and just sit and, and read and talk and do reports. And um, he was definitely the number one person in my life. So losing him definitely shifted my whole perspective on life. And I honestly, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I felt like I couldn't because that main rock of a person wasn't there uh, to guide me. But then I started pulling back. This didn't happen in 2013 or 2014, really just recently happened in 2017 where I was able to pull back and take the lessons um, that he gave me and start guiding myself and start making decisions for myself because I had to. He was no longer there to do it. And, um, you know, my mom was not able to do it either um, because she was not fit to after his murder. So I really had to lean into myself and my own understanding of our relationship and, um, you know, also think of where he would want me to go and, you know, take chances, but really make my own decisions. And I think that's what he would have wanted. That is so powerful, inspiring, and beautiful. And I know he's got to be so proud. Like, I just think about people who are, you know, much older than you who suffer a tragedy and they they never recover or they never bounce back or they never are able to get that sense of peace you just described and almost take the tragedy and use it as fuel and inspiration and be grateful for the time that you had with the person. And like you said, the lessons that he did teach you, like, how do I take those and now put them into practice and live in a way that honors him? But you have struggled with... Um, depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and you're very open about that mm -hmm. do you feel like college was when you first started to notice yeah some of those issues and was it kind of tied to the tragedy or was yeah. it kind of I, mean, I feel like I've always been somewhat of an anxious person um I, I think that's just due to my upbringing like I have my parents really really wanted me to go further than where they ever went and it's funny um, before I went to study abroad and off my campus, my dad came to my dorm room at Sarah Lawrence College when we visited and was like, sat on my dorm bed, was like, you surpassed your mother and I. And I never really got that until he passed. But I've always felt um, kind of notes of, um, of being anxious because of just, I always felt like I had to do things perfectly. And I think we'll talk more into that perfectionism. I'm a first generation college student kid. Um, and then on top of that, you know, going in this tragedy, I lost my dad. And then I also had the anxiety to feel 
do things perfectly because there was this dark stain on my family for a long time. At least I perceived it that way. It's like, your dad was murdered. Like, that is, you know, those are hood tales. These are, like, things that you were not, these, these you know, an engineer, this was not supposed to happen to him. But um, God isn't making any mistakes, and I've learned that. Um, and so my anxiety was through the roof. My depression was also through the roof. And then on top of that, when I left Spelman, um, my teacher did me a, a, a great favor. She gave me a pass on that psychology statistic class. Cause honestly I would have failed it. I missed too many classes. You can't miss those type of classes. And so I was in summer school. So, um, I was in summer school at UC Berkeley. Uh, that was another stressor for me because I had to, you know, I was interning, I was working, I was trying to get my father's estate together. And then on top of that, my mom wanted me to go back to college uh, to finish out my, my senior year and get my degree, which I just did not want to do. Um, but she really pushed that. And I'm, I'm glad that she did because I felt like, uh, when I went back to Sarah Lawrence, it was go time. I knew I had to get a job after college. I knew I needed to beef up my skills. And also it served as a distraction to all the depression. But I also started um, really doing self-damaging things. Now that I'm thinking about it, like I worked at Sarah Lawrence College. I had two and a half jobs. I was the assistant to our um, publicist and for Sir Lawrence College, uh, that I was also working at the library. And then I did uh, two internships. Um, and then I had all my classes at night so I could work during the day. Um, wow. Right. <laughs> and then I was also getting happy hour and drinking a little bit way, you know, way more than I should. Um, and just trying to be hopped up on coffee and just trying to go for it. I met my several amazing mentors in New York on the intern circuit, as I called it, but um, it was really damaging. I was thinking, wow, you're working so hard and you are hardly really um, acknowledging your dad's death. And uh, Sarah Lawrence versus Spelman College is totally different environments. It's a PWI, HBCU. Things weren't, for me, as open to where I felt like I could share. Um, and you know, my mom was 3000 miles away. So I was really trying to push through, make it, but my anxiety and depression worked hand in hand. And I also got very sick during that time. Um, I had an ulcer, I was stressed. Uh, I collapsed in my dorm room. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I was really pushing myself, pushing into the metal, getting these things accomplished, but I really sacrificed my mental health and physical health. Now I know how to push it, um, but also retract and take care of myself. I am a big fan of self-care. I know that that's a buzzword today, but for me, it's really, um, self-preservation, um, as opposed to self-care. Like I will absolutely write several articles at night after doing a nine to five, but I will make sure, okay, you know what? I'm not doing these certain things. I'm taking time for myself. I'm reading, I'm taking a bath. I'm talking to my girlfriends on the phone. I'm going to brunch dates. I am doing everything that makes me feel like I can pour back to myself because I do do a lot. Um, I also take care of my mom um, who has her own mental health issues from my dad's tragedy. So. 
That that's really <laughs> powerful. And thank you so much for sharing, sharing yeah. that so openly. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast for um, our last episode of May is because it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And I personally have a theory about high achievers and mental health, because those are the people who are most attracted to my work. Those are the people who I work with in Packager Genius Academy. And I have noticed that for so many of us who are pushing ourselves to those um, upper limits of our careers and just our entrepreneurial and business pursuits, there typically is something going on on the other side of that achievement, whether it is extreme anxiety, uh, extreme depression. Um, You talk about college and your college experience. I had extreme depression during college and it's really I think one of the defining characteristics of my college experience, um, I didn't have a personal tragedy per se, but I think it's fascinating that you talk about how your father was murdered and then you find yourself kind of trying to escape dealing with the pain of that. And I feel like, you know, I had some, you know, problems in childhood. My parents got divorced. I had a really, really strained relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I kind of hit a wall just hearing you talk about how uh, trauma can chase you and chase you into these destructive behaviors or feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in a sense, for me, my college experience I just kind of, I had worked myself into a tizzy to achieve, to get scholarships, to make amazing grades. And then I hit like an emotional wall and I just, I was depressed for several years. And I remember feeling like it was something that I had to hide and something that um, people would judge me for being depressed, um, having mental health issues. Because at that time, it certainly wasn't something that we talk about as openly as we do now. So did you ever have any sense of like shame or anything around anxiety or depression? I, yeah, I have a lot of shame Um, because people really look at me as, um, not trying to sound cocky, but I've heard people look at me, oh, I, I, as a benchmark, as a prototype, as something to aspire to. And I'm like, listen, girl, <laughs> it is it is tough. It's hard work. I mean, sometimes I'm ashamed of little things of why I can't get my brain to stop going in loops on negative situations that's happened. But it's not a choice. I literally cannot help it sometimes and um you know I'm also ashamed that I'm not on anxiety meds I think it could definitely help me but um my mother is on medication psych medication um and that was that was a whole journey that we both felt shame for (laughs) because that that's so taboo um in the black community and feeling my mom before um the tragedy happened powerhouse nothing slipped by her organized um but now with on her anxiety meds she's starting to come back to that so I'm like should I be on meds or um should I continue to do um cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy which I'm doing now um I've been in therapy with my one therapist for about five years now 
um, and it's definitely helped me um, see see the light sometimes at the tunnel. Um, and like honestly, I just felt shame for so many years of me working diligently to try to not trying to change the past or shift history, but um, reclaiming my father's legacy. And then I kind of came to the point in 2017, 2018, my auntie, Anae, was saying, you know, his legacy has passed and runs through you, but now it's your time <clears throat> to create your own legacy. And that was so powerful to me because it kind of gave me freedom and autonomy to create my own legacy. And for many years, I was holding, I was clenching, and I was gritting my teeth to change the legacy of my dad. And another closure um, that I was able to get was, I haven't, I wasn't, I'm not able to scatter his ashes yet, but another closure I, I was able to do in 2018 was create an art show of my dad's work um, for the public. Wow. Yeah, so in Oakland, we have First Fridays. And um, it was an idea that my mom gave me for a couple of years. I just couldn't get all his photography together. Yet a lot of photos in Oakland, based in Oakland. Um, and I was able to curate an art show that uh, highlighted Oakland City Life, all black and white photos. And his uh, group of photographer friends who worked at the Oakland Tribune and still do um, really supported me in that effort and uh, got me a lot of media coverage, um, digital and print, and we were able to curate an art show for free. So our gallery owner um, heard about my story, heard about his story, and was very open to us. So that was closure for my family and for the public and to kind of shift the narrative of, you know, photographer slain in the Oakland streets to daughter who loved her dad and wanted to give back to him in the community. That is so amazing. Um, gosh, so many things. So many <laughs> things. I was looking for this quote that I recently saw from Dr. Thema mm -hmm. um, on Twitter, and she talks about um, how sometimes overachievers and high achievers can use achievement to um, mask the shame of the past right of yes. trauma of depression of tragedy and um we use you know our achievements to kind of fill us up or make us feel better about the things that we are hiding um so i'm i'm not doing her quote justice and i can't find it but maybe i'll find uh -huh. it and include it in the, yeah. the show notes but Jeez. no i think that's so powerful that you're honoring your father but also you are working through, I mean, so many things and obviously the choice to, to medicate or do therapy or do a combination of both is a very personal one. And for me, I found that um, I did in college, I ended up getting on medication for depression and in and out of adulthood have used it, but have found that for me personally, therapy coupled with um, boundaries, self-care, ecotherapy, spending time mm -hmm. in nature yes. um, really helps me stay centered and um, in a much more, I guess, what feels less artificial than, than medication. Like after my father passed away, um, he didn't die tragically, but it was sudden. Mm -hmm. He died um, four years ago. I remember 
taking antidepressants for a time just because the hole was so deep. Yeah, any um, loss is fine. Mine was just really extreme. It was very extreme. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, God, okay, I see you. But no, any loss is tragic. And like with my mom, her loss for me was, uh, she's not the same person she was when I was growing up. But she's still right. alive. So how do I navigate through that and kind of really cultivate a new relationship with my mom that looks a little different, feels different? So right. yeah, back to your point, any loss is tragic, um, and and you know should it be looked over? And I don't want people, um, which people have sometimes like compared you know tragedies and loss to me, and I'm like, no, don't do that. Mine was a, mine was. Um, really a loss for my family but also a lesson that only I had to learn individually right (laughs) and it's not something to wish on anyone um you mentioned that yes you still do have some shame and and kind of thoughts around your own mental health I recall at that age knowing that um depression was something I had dealt with having shame around it, but also a lot of secrecy because I was afraid that it would impact my career opportunities. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I grew up in the era or or the people who reared me said, you know, any kind of major health issues, especially a mental health issue is not something you disclose because people can use it against you. And so I had so much fear for so many years that if people found out I struggled with depression, (laughs) they wouldn't hire me or I couldn't get a role, which I'm obviously okay. <laughs> that was not the case. But has that impacted you at all yeah, um, think, in your career? Yeah, I think just the perception of mental health in general. I know when my mom was sick, people just didn't understand um, and thought that I was the same type of way as her. Like, oh, are you on meds? Or, you know, people say insensitive things like that. Um, so just not having the full understanding of the different levels of, of mental health um, and what I'm going through versus what she's going through. It's not totally connected. Um, But also at the workplace, yeah, I've had anxiety about assignments. I've had um, imposter syndrome. I've had anxiety impact my imposter syndrome in terms of, I was very cautious about, you know, speaking out on platforms like this about my mental health in case people that I've worked with before, people that I worked with listen to it, but right now I don't care because it's my story. It doesn't have anything to do with my work. It should hold a lesson that someone who does suffer with mental illness can get up out there and do the job just as anyone else can. And it is it should be used as inspiration and not judgment. So if people are judging me for sharing about my mental health journey, then I don't need to be in that environment. Um, what I've what I've learned too, you know, being a few years older, just a couple years older than you, mm-hmm. <laughs> has been that we spend so much time trying to hide these things about ourselves, mm-hmm. and then when we do take a moment to be open and vulnerable and share our truth, we find out that like everybody else is depressed too, right? So it's like everybody else has their quirks. Yeah. Like <laughs> in, in their yeah, absolutely. Everyone, you know, I've been I hear a lot of conversations, whether it's you know, in my personal circle or in my business networking people, some things I'm like, oh I definitely talked about that in therapy. You know, like we we should 
make it a habit not to judge others and not to just slowly put up a wall and say, I don't understand anxiety. It's like, really, you might really have anxiety, but you don't, (laughs) you don't know it because you're not taking the time to get to it. And I think people are um, a little bit afraid themselves to explore what's going on inside of them. It takes very, a very brave and strong person rooted in their self-identity to say, hey, hi, I'm anxious and I'm not going to apologize for it. If, is that an excuse for any bad behavior? Absolutely not. But I'm working through it and I need you to be understanding. Those mm-hmm. are the type of boundaries that I'm now boundaries and expectations that I'm now putting on my loved ones. Hey, you know what? This is a trigger for me. I prefer not to be in this space for X, Y, and Z, or I need you to rephrase some of your sentences towards me or comments because that's very triggering. And I need you to really be um, thoughtful and think before you speak. And I don't think that should be a heavy lift on anyone. Yeah. And I definitely think so many people who may judge mental health have probably have issues too because there are so many ways that depression and anxiety can manifest that don't just look like sadness or worrying Mm -hmm. and I've just come to learn about that recently that depression always being busy always Mm -hmm. being busy that was one for me that I had to sorry to cut you off but always being busy like I, I had to pull back and get into my own agenda and say Dominique are you doing these things because you don't want to address something, you want to always be on the go, um, or you really are you going to benefit from this opportunity? And most times it was the first option. I was just wanting to be on the go and not fully, like, why am I doing these things? So really now I'm having intentionality on things that I want to do um, and how I want to curate my life instead of just picking up every opportunity. And running from time with yourself, which (laughs) can be uncomfortable when you're depressed. But Mm -hmm. depression apparently can also show up as rage and anger. And, you know, like you said, staying busy. So for the people who may not even know that they are depressed, I encourage you to research some of the signs and symptoms that, again, don't look like laying in bed and crying all day. Or, you know, I know for me, I get extremely introverted and I don't want to talk (laughs) to people. I'm already introverted. So that doesn't mean I'm depressed, but Mm -hmm. I can always tell when I'm like veering off to that side because I don't want to talk to anyone mm-hmm. um I definitely have those moments too where what you're saying like rage I'm um, being uh, kind of into myself um introverted and I just acknowledge that and sit into it like I don't I don't apologize anymore unless I'm really hurting somebody but if I'm by myself and I feel these things then I acknowledge it and sit into it I love that. And that takes extreme self-awareness, but also self-love to give yourself the grace to sit in that space. And I think that also helps you come out of it when you're not beating yourself up for not being perfect or not being cheerful and happy and chipper and and perfect, right? It's like, guess what? You're okay. (laughs) You need a day. It'll be tomorrow's another day. We'll try again tomorrow. It's fine. The world is not going to stop. People are going to get their stuff. Life will go on. So I love that as just a tip for people who start to spiral, you know, when you start to judge yourself and talk to yourself in that mean way, just to give yourself some grace and some love. Um, So perfectionism, you mentioned that that's an issue you have dealt with. And I know that for many of the high achievers I work with, they have it as well. And on the one hand, it can help them to create great results. 
uh, great work products, but it can be damaging to the person, right? So you're like, you're being so caught up in the details and everything being right that yes, you, you produce a great article or a great report or a great presentation, um, but at what cost to yourself? So what have, what's been your experience with perfectionism? Um, just going to come into terms that my work is not always going to be perfect. Um, and I am going to make mistakes. And when I make those mistakes, don't, there's a million people already beating you up for making mistakes. You don't need to beat yourself up for making that mistake. You make the mistake, you try to learn from it, you try to go through the steps. You are accountable for your mistakes, but in terms of anything else, that is, that's, that's where it stops. Um, and so perfectionism, I've in this perfectionism loop where I'm like, okay, I got this really exciting gig or I have this really exciting piece and I'm so excited about it. I write the interview questions, give it to the person, they give it back to me. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? It has to be perfect. And then I sit on it. And I think a lot of perfectionists are also procrastinators because they are so busy analyzing the work instead of just doing it. And putting it out there. Um, and I'm not going to say that work output is so, it's more important than um, having your piece be good. But I think one thing that's um, propelled me forward is to know that it's not going to be perfect. People are going to say things, people are going to have comments. I've had um, a lot of critiques on my work. Just as amount of love that I've gotten on my work, I've gotten a lot of critiques. It's not been in public. But people have been messaging me and um, sending me uh, some questionable comments about my work. So it, I think I have gotten more comfortable with myself. If you take away Forbes, if you take away all my titles, I'm still going to be Dominique. And I think that's what perfection, perfection in it perfectionists really need to grasp that if you take away all these external titles you're still going to be you so what is the essence of you I love that I love that and I know like being a perfectionist you can get into a mental loop of of like you said judging yourself and beating yourself up and like you said the world will do that plenty of times but then in many cases the world isn't even doing that. And I think we're so alert and hyper, hyper alert to any sort of criticism that there may not be any at all. And we mm -hmm. beat ourselves up enough for everybody. And so right. for people who are not in a public um, facing kind of role like you are as a writer, you know, which is still so weird. <laughs> yeah but it's just like people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are right, right? it's like yeah relax. it's for me my my anxiety comes from because there's thousands of eyes exactly. on, on my work and I'm like oh my god you know um you know and even with my day job I want to make sure that my work is great for the client so that anxiety there but with Forbes anxiety is kind of different where it's like well once I hit publish I know somebody at least a thousand and up will be looking at my work so what does that mean um and how how can I just maintain who I am outside of the public eye and I say that with air quotes because I'm um I don't I don't consider myself a public figure at all. I just consider myself a storyteller. Well, I think it's powerful that you have 
developed a thick skin and and now knowing your roots your family roots of you know coming from storytellers and journalists it's totally understandable it's like a natural thing that maybe you have that um to to be able to tell good stories and find good sources and find good subjects but also you got to be tough because everyone's not going to love what you do um and speaking of speaking of what you do so we touched on forbes so you've done what I think so many people should do in terms of being proactive um, and using your existing skills to make a name for yourself by pursuing writing opportunities and the the chance to profile others with your work at Forbes and at Essence. So what advice would you give others who want to explore their interests outside of their day jobs? Um, I would say create an online portfolio, create a website, um, create a safe space for your work or your interests or even a little bit about you that you own. I think that's so important. Um, When I started my blog with Dominique, it was just a passion project and kind of expanding into this brand. Um, And it was also kind of a a jumping off point to where I can say, oh, hey, I do write a little bit and I can direct people to my online portfolio, my blog. And then it also was a place for my nine to five work to live, which is very important too. Um, So I would say first start with creating, getting your own domain, um, uh, licensing your own company and start from there and then also being proactive in a way where you're you're not creating transactional relationships um when i when i first started it was more of creating um relationships that i knew that would take me throughout the the test of time um relationships that i can always go back to um because i had something to offer as well and and still do um so really create relationships or try to seek mentors that you can um benefit from but they can benefit from you too. Um, so it won't be like a one-sided type of relationship. Um, then I would say hone in your skills. Um, I've had to hone in my writing skills by writing on my blog, writing consistently, trying to find workshops, um, meeting with my friends who are also writers and participating in their workshops or creating a space or forum. Um, I have a brunch series as well that we can bounce off ideas, uh, whether we're in the communication space or writing space or creative space. We could have a place where we feel safe to um, convene and and just talk and figure out different connections that we might have within our group. Um, So I would suggest all those things and also just believe in yourself and just go for it. I mean, for me, how I started with Forbes, I I told Amanda this in her cohort um, recently that it was more of... um, kind of a happenstance thing. I was I went to a networking event at, for with Forbes Media. I was invited by my friend um Erin, who also lives in DC. Um, but she couldn't go. Um and I decided to go in her place and I wanted the free pizza and the prosecco. <laughs> and honestly it was a long day at agency. So I went over there and I was networking and then I met my editor and she liked my personality. And she thought, okay, 
you know, do you write? And then from there, I was able to direct you to my website. At least I had some type of writing samples, even though it was blog posts. Um, and then we just began the pitch, pitching process. Um, and then when I started Forbes, doors started opening with Essence. Um, but really, that relationship with Essence started with um, one particular relationship with Charlie Penn, and that was, again, happenstance. I met her at a conference lobby. So really doing your due diligence and knowing the people that you want to talk to before you even get a chance, you know, stay ready so you don't have to be ready, that type of thing, that's definitely helped me. And just having the passion and really balls to go for it, uh, the audacity to go for it has uh, helped me. I love it. And almost every example you gave involved you being out of your comfort zone, you know, these opportunities aren't coming to you at your desk. They're not coming to your inbox, to your cubicle. You're out and about, you're at conferences, you're going to networking events, you're walking up to people, you're organizing your own colleagues for brunch to kind of do a brain dump and a mind share and a mastermind to get their ideas. What are you seeing out there? How can we collaborate? And so I think being proactive is really key to everything you just mentioned. So many people think, you know, they want more, they want more for their brands, for their careers, for their businesses, but they're not doing more. They're not doing anything outside of their normal day-to-day -day routine. So life is going to stay the same as long as you stay the same and opportunities for the wider world are not going to come to you at your cubicle. You mm -hmm. got to go out there, meet new people, connect, deepen those relationships, mm -hmm. put things out into the universe for people to react to and respond to and be proactive about getting yourself um, in front of new people. So, okay. no, thank you. And I, you know, whenever I feel comfortable, uh, whenever I feel like I'm getting comfortable, I'm starting to do more opportunities like this, like mm -hmm. really hearing my own personal narrative helps to, kind of recenter myself like, okay, why are you here? Why did you start in the first place? Where do you want to go? So whenever mm -hmm. I fall back into this uh, sense of comfortability, um, I try to challenge myself by getting out of my comfort zone, like speaking on your podcast. <laughs> right. So thank you. I'm so I'm just so proud to know you. And I know that, you know, we've talked a lot about your journey and your career and just everything you've got going on. You're a bright rising star that I think all of us need to keep our eyes on. But since this is our May is Mental Health Awareness Month episode, I want to close mm -hmm. on mental health. So it seems at this point, you know, you've come through some incredible personal tragedies. Um, you've you've identified mental health challenges, you're dealing with it, you're navigating it, and you're still achieving, you're still succeeding, you're still out here, you know, making yourself proud, making, you know, making good on your father's legacy, but also someone who, you know, you caught my attention just by being yourself. And so, you know, living in your truth and in your gifts, in spite of mental health issues, I think is very powerful. So you seem to have really found a way to exist and um, be high functioning, but also a happy, lovely person um, and productive member of society, but also very well respected in your industry. What advice would you give to other high achievers who may also be dealing with anxiety and or depression? How can they um, find time for themselves, but also keep going after their big dreams? Yeah, so two things that just came to mind is know your why. Know why you 
want to be a high achiever, know why you are passionate about what you're doing, and two, put yourself first. I cannot stress this enough. Um, people say that, you know, I could be selfish or things like that, but I think it's all in moderation. But when you start to put yourself first, you know your limits, you know your boundaries, you know the care that you can give to others, and you can also um, take care of yourself the way that you need. No one can take care of you the way you could take care of yourself, if that makes sense. Um, and I had to learn that through partnerships, through, um, you know, intimate relationships, through friendships. Put yourself first. Take care of yourself in your unique way. Find, identify ways that make you feel good in the moment, that make you feel mm -hmm. joyful. Even identify what makes you feel icky or makes you feel like, okay, this is not going to work for me and I don't want to feel this again. Find those uh make sure that you are finding your personal joy, whatever that means to you. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that. Thank you, Dominique. Thank you for sharing so openly and just offering your tips and guidance. Seriously, that lesson on self-care is something that I, I just recently learned <laughs> that, you know, I have to take really good care of myself, even if I want to be able to access my gift, right? Like right. I can't, I can't use my gifts if I'm, if I can't breathe, which was right. my most recent lesson. Yes. And so self-care has been a huge thing for me. Put your yeah. own oxygen mask on first and then like the airplane and then put it on others because I, I literally have so many different responsibilities outside of the workplace and outside what I do for Forbes. I need to give myself oxygen so I, I'll be able to execute those things and don't apologize for doing that. Don't. I love it. People are going to always say that you're selfish when they wish they can do the same thing for themselves. So very true. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dominique, for joining us. Thank you yeah. for being a guest on Package of Genius and sharing your story. I'm so excited to see how your journey impacts the listeners of the show. So Me thank too. you for joining us. Thank oh, you. before we go, is there anywhere people can go to learn more about you and what you have going on? Yes, Where can they follow you on social media? Where can they read your yes. words? So I mentioned before earlier in the podcast, you can get a dose of Dominique um, at www.workdominique, work spelled with a Q-U-E, Dominique, two I's, <laughs> dot com. And you can also find me um, at my Instagram at workdominique. And yeah, and then you can look me up on Forbes by Google. And, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll, include, I'll include links to all of that awesome. in the show notes. So people, if you want to just click for easy clicking to find Dominique, you can just go to the show notes. It will all be there. But thank you, Dominique, for being my thank guest. You. Keep shining. Keep being amazing. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, this is, has been amazing. Bye. Yay. Wasn't that a powerful conversation? I'm so grateful for Dominique for being so willing to share and give us a window into her life, her journey so far, and the lessons that she's learned from some pretty powerful life experiences. As I mentioned, you can find Dominique online at workdominique.com and at workdominique on Instagram, which are in the show notes. 
I also wanted to leave you with a few of my favorite mental health resources. So if you are looking for support on your mental health journey as a high achiever who understands that that is critical to you being able to access your own gifts, please check out some of the following. So my very favorite mental health professional of all time and a frequent guest on the Package or Genius podcast is Dr. Risha Moxley. She also happens to be a childhood friend and someone who I've known for the majority of my life. But Dr. Moxley is also a gifted therapist. And I can say that because I have spoken to many over my um, over my years. And she, I would say, is top two <laughs> of, you know, all the therapists that I have spoken with. And She has just been a godsend for me. Conversations with Dr. Moxley have been life changing. She's helped me in so many ways from helping me see the depth of my own imposter syndrome to helping me develop a new approach to anxiety by giving me a mantra, which I've shared here before. But that mantra is you've already done the work. So whenever I've gotten nervous or just really, really agitated around a new opportunity when I'm stepping into a new layer, a new season, a new level of growth. She has helped me to stay centered in the fact that I have indeed earned, you know, the rooms and the invitations that I'm in and I've earned the right to succeed and to have amazing success. I've worked really, really hard, but it's easy to forget that when you are caught up in doing the work and not necessarily reflecting back on how far you've come. So she's armed me with that. And that has been just so powerful. She is also an integral part of our package or genius Academy, where she hosts sessions for our students as a performance coach. And she also works with patients privately. So if you are looking for a therapist who can help you um, understand issues that you've been dealing with for decades, literally in the span of an hour (laughs) or an hour and a half. She is your girl. She and the work that, you know, she's even just the conversations we've had have set me free. And I'm a person who searches. I'm always looking for answers and clarity. And I'm telling you, there's no one better. She's amazing. You can find her on LinkedIn which I'll link to in the show notes at Dr. Risha Moxley. Another couple of mental health geniuses, in addition to Dr. Moxley, to follow on Twitter, Dr. Thema. Oh my God, I first heard her on Patrice Washington's Redefining Wealth podcast. And I started following her on Twitter. And as you'll see, if you follow her there, she tweets nuggets daily that... I mean, are essentially like therapy, like bite-sized therapy nuggets. It's powerful. It's a, her Twitter ministry is on point. Like it's incredible just how quickly she can get to the insights. And um, I love following her and often retweet her. So check her out, Dr. Thema on Twitter. Also, Dr. Stephen Brownlow, his handle is at SG Brownlow. And he is the founder of Adept Psychology. And he also offers bite-sized nuggets of therapy every single day. So follow him to get deeper insights and to really open up your mind. 
a few of my favorite mental health focused podcasts. The first one is Therapy for Black Girls with Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, who also has a powerful directory of therapists. If you're looking for an African-American woman therapist who can help you unpack um, maybe the trauma of your childhood or help you deal with relationships that you are currently experiencing, check out Therapy for Black Girls, the podcast and the website where there is a directory of over 1000 therapists of color. It's very amazing the work she's doing. My second favorite mental health podcast is Therapy Chat with Laura Reagan. That's one of my favorites because she brings on experts from a variety of mental health specialties to share their expertise. So she is um, a licensed clinical social worker and she interviews other social workers, psychotherapists, psychologists who are all kind of um, specialties in specific areas. And a few of my favorite episodes of her podcast were episode 148, Effects of Childhood Traumatic Stress on Physical and Mental Health, Episode 111, Relationships and Childhood Emotional Neglect, and Episode 92, The Emotionally Absent Mother and the Effects of Childhood Emotional Neglect. Those are just a few. I mean, I need to actually catch up on this podcast, but it's like another great place to find amazing therapists and practitioners because you get to hear their expertise and their specialty and their voice right there on the podcast. So therapy chat with Laura Reagan is another great one. And my last favorite mental health podcast, which is arguably not a mental health podcast, but to me, it's very therapeutic is mom is in control with Heather Chauvin. Now, This is not a mental health podcast per se. It's more about motherhood and parenting. But Heather talks about many of the issues that parenting can bring up for you. So many of the mental health issues that parenting brings up like anxiety, um, sense of control, loss of self because you're spending so much time cultivating your kids and then also how your children can trigger the unhealed parts of yourself. So as I've begun to listen to this podcast, it's a newer podcast um, for me because I actually just met Heather at an event in New York a few weeks ago and learned about her work. But I dove in and there, as you will see, are over 400 episodes of this podcast. And I would sum it up to say listening to this podcast is a lot like self-parenting, right? So if you feel like you didn't necessarily get all of your emotional needs met in childhood, there's a concept called self-parenting where you can kind of go back and give yourself some of those things and parent yourself and parent that inner child. And I feel like that's kind of what these episodes are bringing up for me. So a few of my favorite episodes of Mom is in Control. And again, I just started listening. So haven't even had a chance to dig into a ton of it, but already episode 453, How to Overcome Emotional Triggers, episode 445, Sustainable Motherhood, and episode 443, How Your Child Triggers You is a Deeper Healing Opportunity. So I encourage you if you're a parent or just a woman who maybe 
feels like she's lost her sense of self because it's not all about parenting. She talks just about life and how to feel alive and how to reclaim joy when you've been working and achieving for a long time and you've almost forgotten about that part of yourself. Like all you know is work. So if you feel like you've lost your identity in any way, whether it's because all you know is work or all you know is work and parenting, and you've forgotten how to have fun and you've forgotten what really makes you happy outside of those roles, I would encourage you to check the podcast out because she has some powerful episodes and powerful insights um, to just help you get recentered and take your power back. So thank you for listening to this episode of Package Your Genius. I know it was a departure from my normal content, but I have had it on my heart to do a mental health episode for some time and I'm feeling courageous and brave. So thank you for allowing me the chance to be vulnerable and to share more of myself with you. And thank you for listening to Dominique's story. Please find her on social media and let her know you heard the episode and that you're rooting for her because she's amazing. She's going to go and do so many amazing things. Um, I can just tell. <laughs> and I'm sure you can too. So let me know what you thought of the episode. You can find me on Instagram at Package Your Genius. I'm on Twitter at Amanda Mogul. Also on Facebook. If you haven't joined the private Facebook group, search for Package Your Genius on Facebook and um, submit a notification to us that you'd like to join us and be a part of our ongoing conversation about the episodes here. And that's all I've got for you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.